Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oi, the boys on Footy Prime on occasion are known to use vulgarities and frankly appalling language. And sometimes tales are quite adult in nature. So keep the volume down if there are kiddies around. And thank you for listening. Oh, let's go! Booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. Booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. You know that we are the number one show. So grab your fucking mitts and now it's time to go. Cause it's the booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. It's the booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. With Danny, Jimmy, Greg, and Amy, Jimmy, JC. All we know and all we talk about is booty, booty. It's time to get this started tonight. We're on Footy Prime right now, and um, it's a foundation episode. It might be the last time we have Wonger, because Wong is driving right now. <laughs> Wong is currently driving while doing the podcast. What could go wrong, Wonger, huh? Uh, might leave another bag on the sidewalk. I don't know. <laughs> i got to tell you, if, if you do tower. get involved in, a, in an, uh, some kind of accident, we're going to just keep recording, okay? Perfect. It's like when you're, uh, did you ever tell that story that your wheel fell off when we were on the phone? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Literally fell off on the highway in the 401 heading out towards uh, Kitchener. I think you were delivering pies. So the story is you were delivering pies, I think. You and I were chatting and all of a sudden Charm starts saying, I hear something rattling. He pulls over and one of his wheels is gone. He's that guy with the no fourth wheel that's bouncing yeah. by people. It was crazy. I was making this really weird noise, and I thought, man, I've got to get off. And I'm on the cook phone with you, and so I've got to, the next uh, exit. I'm getting off, and I'm doing like 120, and there's like freaking trucks every each side of me, and then suddenly it's like and then this awful grating sound, and I'm kind of yanking the wheel and trying to stay straight, and I pull over. And yeah, the wheel is literally sheared off. It sheared off its axle and it's jammed in between the defender and the door. And it was, uh, it was something. <laughs> and then we continued talking. We did. Yeah. So side <laughs> of the highway, finish a conversation. Yeah. I was pretty impressed with how cool delivered, and calm I, I was. I think you delivered pies anyway. We did. Yeah. No, listen, they, they were delivering a ton of them to a store out there and uh, they were still frozen by the time we got there. Courtesy a yeah. tow truck. Cut it to your yeah. profits a little bit. 
<laughs> well, the freaking fixing that car did—that's for sure. Jesus, right? Yeah. Anyway, that was that was fun. Um, so listen, good show today, boys. We got Jimmy, we got Craig, Wonger, of course. JC is here. Um, later on, we're joined by Corey Ray, who is formerly of Toronto FC. A great story as he as he grew through the ranks of Toronto FC to assistant GM. Currently now is at Columbus uh, under Tim Bespachenko. Now I, I don't want to talk too much about last night's result. Because Columbus were being in the U.S. Open Cup by the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, one of those uh, one of those teams. The old Riverhounds. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, we're talking about you know his his pathway, uh, what it's like. This, I think it's from Kitchener, isn't he, Jimmy? Corey's from Kitchener. I think so. <laughs> well, you don't know that. Well, you you, you, you answered that a question with a question. We'll ask him anyway. That's twice now I've mentioned Kitchener in the podcast. First time we've ever mentioned Kitchener in the podcast, and twice now we've mentioned it. But yeah, really interesting story there with Corey Ray. So he's coming up later in today's show. But I, I thought today we'd just start with, as the season's wrapping up, the last weekend coming up, um, s- some big questions that need to be answered. All right? Um, and we'll do more of these as the week goes on. I think there's some, some Wunger's mail sack too, eh, Wunger? Is there somewhere? No, it's in his bag. <laughs> on the sidewalk? <laughs> He's got to pull over and get it. I just saw him checking his blind spot. So his, his, his mic's off right now. So I'm assuming uh, we got some Wonga's mail sack at some point. But let's start this off, okay? Because like I said, there's so much happening this summer. First big question to answer, okay? Harry Kane, Chelsea or Manchester United? Where should Harry Kane go? They're both being rumored right now. He loves London. He's been there his whole career. But of course, the allure of United obviously is, is pretty powerful. If you're Harry Kane and you've got the choice, and he's got more choices, obviously, and, and one of them, which is staying at Tottenham, of course, but say he's leaving, Chelsea or Manchester United, where should Harry Kane go, Jimmy? Man United. Yeah, I would say the same. To explain? <laughs> <laughs> no. No? Okay. If it Thanks, was for, basically, if it was for the same amount of money, I would say Manchester United, only because they seem to have their shit together a little bit more but I guess that could be debatable as well Chelsea have deep pockets so they're going to buy lots of support for them as well yeah but there is that lure of London for sure you could probably stay in the same home he's at now but yeah, if all things are equal I would, I would say Manchester United I would say I would say well I did say Manchester United <laughs> and, the, and the reason being is because I, they've got Champions League football next year they seem to have more stability than what Chelsea does at the moment. And who knows what Chelsea's going to do in the offseason. Are they going to get players in? They've got to offload a lot of players. They spend a lot of money. Who knows what's going to happen? Whereas I think uh, Man U's in a better place right now going into next season. Now, Chelsea do have... It seems that Pochettino is the man coming in there, right? He's going to obviously make some changes. He's got that connection, though, with Kane from his Spurs days. How much of a lure is a manager in these situations? A guy that you know and that you respect and knows how to you know, use your, your talents? Well, it is a lure, except the trouble is with clubs like Chelsea or those top manager that you're signing for might not be around for six months or two years. You know, like the manager's spells are very, very short, so you're not going to sign with somebody on the is back there- of the is there somebody else you're talking to, Stacks? 
Yeah, what, what are you what are you looking at? <laughs> what are you looking at? I just don't want to look at your bugs. You're you're freaking me out a little bit. Do you have the hub on somewhere? It's like you, I feel like we're in confession. <laughs> a little bit, right? He, he's averting his eyes. He can't make eye contact. I should try that. I've never done that. Where's your speaker, by the way, right now, Craig? Are you using your, your headphones or just uh, yeah, your computer? Yeah. No, it's right, right here. This is, do you, do you intend to get internet at some point at a, your new place? Yeah, apparently. Oh, I, I'm not sure if it's something that's going to last internet. I was thinking it might just drift away somewhere or something else would come up. So I'm waiting for that. <laughs> but this he's internet thing seems to be working quite well. I don't know. I'm going to have to stick with it. He's waiting, he's waiting to get to know his neighbors a little bit better so he can stiss. You can steal their Wi Fi. Yeah. What's your password? (laughs) Just curious to what your password would be for your Wi Fi. Imagine his his poor neighbors, his neighbors saying, Oh, for God's sakes, the cat man, he's he's on us again, trying to get us freaking Wi Fi password. Jesus Christ. I wish the cat man would leave us alone. God, he's just moved in for Christ's sakes. So so you see Wi Fi a little bit like uh, you think Harry Kane sees managers, right? Won't be there forever. So let's not follow. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> don't do it for the money Harry don't do it for the money man I think Wong's uh, speaker might be actually be better from his car right now than, than, than Craig's speaker let's try something else then. well there we go I think you're speaking through your computer speaker is what I think because you moved it closer and now you sound much better how's that see that's so much better it's so much really? better it's crisper it's deeper it's darker how much oh, does JC? How much does JC look like the assistant coach from Ted Lasso right now? He does. That's a great, great get there. Absolutely. Let me get a picture of this. Although we can probably just snap it right, JC. From uh, let me get a picture anyway, and we'll, we'll, we'll put it up there. Hang on. There we go. All right. We've got the three of you in there, actually. And we've got JC. He looks like Coach Beard. By the way, haven't watched the last episode yet. Don't ruin it. I've got uh, episode 10. Wong was threatening to ruin it for us. Amy wasn't impressed on the dark web. So keep that quiet right now. You're muted right now, Wong, by the way. I'm sure you're aware of that. Because he's driving. <laughs> he doesn't want the background noise. He's the, laughing to himself. The, the horns and the swearing at him. <laughs> His old body shakes when he giggles. Look. <laughs> it does. He goes in the old. Get a picture of Wonga too. Of, it'd be good for the insurance claim afterwards when we uh, get a picture of Wonga here. There he is. All right. We'll stick that up as well. Okay. Lovely. Um, okay. Where was he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Harry Kane. So you both think United, not, not Chelsea at all. Um, there's talk about Mason Mount going from Chelsea to Manchester United as well. It's one of the big fish in this year's transfer window. Although, um, Liverpool and Arsenal are also after Mason Mount after a pretty not not a great season by his his high standards but still a midfielder that could do some real damage I think in the right situation alright next big question next big question here um, should Liverpool sign a right back and allow Trent Alexander-Arnold to really evolve into the central midfielder that many believe he, he should be and can dominate at yes I think they should Absolutely. Strengthen that up, and then you can always revert back to it if you want. It gives him some flexibility, some changing in tactics. And he seems to have moved in that position and taken that defensive responsibility away from a little bit. And it's actually worked quite well. So, yeah, my answer to that would be yes. I think they should pick up a right back and, and push him up into midfield. Or, again, the option. 
you surprised Jimmy how well he's kind of evolved into that into that position? Obviously, it's kind of that Pep Guardiola slash Jurgen Klopp inverted fullback kind of role, right? But when he plays in that position, his vision and his passing is so good that it just seems to be a natural fit right now. Yeah, I think I think he's done very very well. I think he's surprised a lot of people as well just how comfortable it, it has been for him moving into that position. And look, he is a clever player. He's good on the ball. He's He's got good vision. You know, he sees the big picture and he's done a hell of a job in there. So, yeah, I, I agree I, would, I agree with Greg. Get, a, get another right back in there and it gives you more options and flexibility as well for your, for your tactics, formations that you want to use. Well, you know, I mean, it's, you're actually a great source, right? Because a fullback also playing central midfield is something that you know very well in your career. Yep. Um, what attributes like, from a fullback does blend well with that position? Uh, pace. Yeah, it's your, your pace as well in the middle of the park, tracking runners. And you've already got that defensive mind as well. So you, you read the play a little bit different. So when, the, when you do lose possession, your natural instinct is that recovery run to get back in into, into your shape and position, right? So you have a little bit more structure being a defender moving into that, that those midfield roles. Sometimes if you have a player that's a midfielder, you know, from the get-go, they don't track runners the same way as what a fullback would track runner because your whole career you've been tracking. So you got that defensive DNA built You've in. got the defensive DNA already in, ingrained in you. Except for Trent, who doesn't. Yeah. No, but you but you got the intact but you have with the modern fullbacks, you know, you have that attacking instinct and the defending instinct right you do both so to go into the middle of the park and as long as you're good football and you're comfortable in possession you're fine going in, in, into the middle when i was at norwich i played center midfield most majority of the games the national team i played a lot of games in the middle of the park and do you then, prefer playing central mid or uh, a fullback or left wing uh i enjoyed to be honest with you i enjoyed playing all of the positions I like to center midfield because, you know, you, you got in the ball a lot more. Um, but it depended on the formation that you were playing as well. Because when you were out wide, if it was a team that you know, used their flanks and wanted to get down the line, then I enjoyed that because I love to get forward. Um, but then I also love being in the middle of the park because I like getting on the ball and playing. Hey, Craig, a lot of energy is needed, right, eh, Jimmy? Oh, so much energy. <laughs> it's, 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 and it's a, it's a different fitness as well. You know, if I was playing wing back, you know, I, I would make, say, a 50-yard run forward with the play. But it's not a walk back because your recovery was back in position. So you're doing 100 meters there, straight there and back. Um, but then when you got into the – and it was more of a sprint, whereas when you were in the middle of the park, it's, it was a lot more of a continual pace. You know, short, explosive little movements and – so the fitness was was a little bit different, that's for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, Craig, it seems that the, the modern fullbacks are kind of like the the nerdy fat kid who suddenly got in shape and was cool, and the girls liked him because for for so many years fullbacks <laughs> what weren't the cool. Fuck. <laughs> what? <laughs> for, for, listen, the modern fullback, all these inverted fullbacks, oh, they're so skilled, everyone loves them, worth lots of money, right? But you know, listen, fullbacks for so long were like kind of, uh, you're not good enough to play anywhere else. You go, you go right back. Right, that's kind of as, as unfair as it is. That was kind of the the feeling around fullbacks of all the positions in the field, right? And now they're all cool. Am I being unfair? 
It sounds like okay. you're describing goalkeepers. <laughs> so, so here, here, I'll, I'll, I can explain this to you. So, you're right in a way because the old fullbacks used to just sit back, play in that position, right, defend. Didn't really go forward. And then what ended up happening was, as the game progressed and we started getting wingbacks, I was a, I was a natural left winger, or I played up top, and they started converting wingers into fullbacks so the builds were different the paces were different and they had a lot more energy when than what your normal left and right backs used to have and that's why you see so many fullbacks i think when you look at it like a roberto carlos ashley cole like the builds all became a little bit different and it was all power pace but they were all wingers as well that got converted into into fullback position i was the same so you were part of the evolution. You're that transitionary period of the fullback. Well, that's when it came into Alexander Arnold. Yeah. So that's when it actually came into play. And I remember it was Joe Jordan said to me, he goes, you're going to play uh, left back. I'm like, get fucked, left back. I'm not <laughs> playing left back. I go forward. No, no, no. This is what's going to happen. The wide player is going to come in and you're going to start bombing on. And and I loved it. I loved, I loved the position. I mean, there was a, a hell of a lot of running. But as the game evolved, it was all the wingers that were just dropping back into fullback position. Now, it was terrible because the first couple of years, the, the wingers couldn't defend to save their lives. So you were struggling going that way. But like going forward, it was, it was a lot different. The, uh, George Burley, your old manager at Southampton, my manager at Ipswich, when I got to Ipswich, he was still playing for Ipswich. And Bobby Robson had just left the club that summer. But George Birdie was doing exactly that as a wingback, getting for forward overlapping, getting crosses in under the Bobby Robson system. That goes back to the early 80s. So there was the odd manager, Bobby Robson being one. It's no wonder he did so well in his career. It was a little bit ahead of the curve uh, doing that with the, with the likes of George Burley years and years ago. Yeah. It's interesting, Roy. I mean, is that the one position that's evolved the most, do you think, out of in the last... 15, 20 years that the fullback position? I, I think so in a way because, you know, even, even your movements, you know, we were doing overlaps, we were doing underlaps and then inverted positions where you went with a three at the back and then you, you drift inside now to, to create an overload in the middle of the park. So that, <laughs> full, that fullback position really, really changed an awful lot over, over time. The goalkeeper position too, I, I think is a big change over the last 10 years, I would say. 15 years. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, you have to be comfortable on the ball with your feet. You have to be good with your left and your right foot. Oh, yeah. And if you're not comfortable, that'll be the end. Yeah. yeah it's, it's good seeing um, it's, it's David Steele, right? Playing for Brighton right now with Sanchez out. Da- David Steele? Why am I bringing it? Jason Steele? Not anyway, sure. it's good to see him getting some games, right? Because, you know, he was almost mm-hmm. out there for a while, right? And he's getting some games now. But you're right. That position has really evolved, obviously, to a point now where even the worst clubs in the world need ball-playing goalkeepers. You just don't get the old school guy anymore, do you? They're not – they're just not – no matter yeah. who, you, who you're playing for. You, you think it changes so much. I mean, you know, back in the day before, remember, you used to pack, pass it back to the keeper, you pick it up, and then you started passing it back to the goalkeeper, and then he would just launch it. Yeah. Right. When you were under pressure, whereas now when you're under pressure, you give it back to the goalkeeper. They're keeping possession. They're retaining possession for you now. So they're just like a sweeper. They keep the ball for you. They keep the rhythm in the game. And mm. 
when you see some of the better teams, you know, in their little triangles at the back there, when they're being pressed and they're just, it's, it's unbelievable how, how skilled they all are. Right. Yeah. Where yeah. You, you could just hoof it. I'm thinking, my God, like, you know, one, one misplaced pass and it's going to be a breakaway, but they're just incredible how they can pass around players now. Yeah, it, it is. And I've mentioned it before. The pitches are carpets. These, these hybrid pitches are absolutely perfect. So, we had that to deal with those bobbly pitches and trying to keep position at the back was really, really dangerous. So managers tended not to want to do that. So pass back would come back to me and everybody would turn. They didn't want any part of getting a short pass. They just turned. They wouldn't look at you. They'd run to the halfway line and just want you to hoof it. Yeah. But now yeah. it's uh, there's no excuse why you shouldn't be able to keep possession on those surfaces. Yeah. We have a question here from uh, our many millions of fans, uh, courtesy Wonga's mail sack. Uh, Wonga's driving, so he can't actually uh, read this, but I'll do it for him. Uh, uh, at Teach Me Soccer asks uh, both you and Jimmy and Craig here, how often, if ever, do Jimmy and Craig hear from the clubs they used to play for? Is there an alumni network? Do you have reunions? I see the boys supporting their old clubs, but don't see the clubs reciprocating the love. What's that relationship like? Hmm. Interesting. Uh, no, there's not really an alumni. I mean, some clubs are definitely better at it than others. Uh, I'll say the, the likes of Ipswich Town are trying to be more proactive in that area. <clears throat> I mean, the national team, Canada's national team, uh, the association, they're trying to be more proactive in the need and the you know want for a, a strong alumni group. So most clubs don't really have it. They in England, a lot of them have their Hall of Fames now that started in the last 15 years or so that we never saw before. Uh, but yeah, there hasn't really been a connection. But it depends on the ownership too and what they actually want. You know, Ipswich now very much into the community like they used to be. Players have to be part of that if they want to sign for the club. And they also are looking uh, at alumni to to have a little bit more support to be more part of the club. So that's all part of the culture and fabric of the club that I think is really, really important. And uh, some clubs are better at it than others. Some are non-existent. Yeah, I know with uh, with Bristol, they uh, they keep in touch with a lot of the the ex pros. Um, mm-hmm. It was maybe it was last year that they they wanted a few players to go back, and because it was part of the promotion team. You know, so, oh, I remember that. That's right. That's right. Um, and then even when you know, if I I went back to Nottingham a couple of years back and. You know, they've always got the ex-pros that are always around the club. And, you know, they do they do look after you. But I think who keeps in touch with you more is the is the fans. The fans are the ones that, mm-hmm. that reach out. They'll follow you and send you messages. You know, yeah. I just got one today from, from Norwich, the Norwich supporter group, just mm-hmm. saying hello. And, mm-hmm. so. That's kind of neat. That's one thing about yeah. social media that has allowed you to do that. And I'm also on a WhatsApp group with I don't know how many – West Ham fans are on there, but it's uh, that's a dark, dark web, I tell you. <laughs> you think, oh, you think our oh, web's dark? They ain't got nothing on the West Ham fans. <laughs> <laughs> Throw punches first, ask questions second. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 the one where you're looking at your phone going, do I do I take myself off of this because <laughs> there's somebody somebody could be monitoring this and I'm done. That is rough, man. I can imagine. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that's the, the fans are the club, right? I mean, people with ownership the way it is now across the world's game, um, it's very easy to be disenfranchised because of who owns your your club. But the reality is, it's the fans. They're everything, and it's not the fans' fault that some 
oil state buys their club and now they're being judged by everyone else. It's not the fans' fault. They can't just walk away from their club, right? Um, I don't think it's up to the fans to do that either. Um, you can support a club, but not be comfortable with who owns your club. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Well, interesting, you know, at Newcastle, for instance, Mark Ashley, who is the JJB sports owner, owner of uh, Newcastle from, from the south of England, was never, ever taken in by the fans, um, disliked them from start to finish. And then yet Saudi Arabia buy them and everything's okay. <laughs> hey, he's yeah. not, Saudi Arabia's not from the south of England. Hey, fuck these, they're fine, you know, so... It's uh, hey, listen, blind, blind faith. Blind Canada's faith. apparently opened up their, their diplomatic relations once again with Saudi Arabia. So uh, everything's fine there. We can yeah. stop judging Saudi Arabian-owned football clubs now because yeah. Canada's buddies once again. Let's get you know, political, shall we? That's always fun, isn't it? You know, going back to that question as well, and Craig, you you might agree with this. You know, it's it's nice when the club reaches out once in a while, but... I think you, you appreciate it more when the fans reach out because then you know that they, they appreciated the, the work that you put in when you played for that club and how much it meant to, to us to, to represent them. So it's always nice nice hearing from the fans. It certainly it is. Do you, do you hear from TFC often, Jimmy? I mean, you you're often show up at the games and we see you, you know, the old wave, you know, and sitting there yeah. with all the suits yeah, and the money, man. You know, I'll I I go once in a while down to TFC games. Yeah, they they do. They look after me. Um, you know, and even a lot of the fans still still reach out or if I'm there and they'll come over, we'll have a chat. But yeah, they for the most part they've been good. Yeah. Well, listen, let's let's welcome in our uh, our guest, shall we? As mentioned, uh, currently yeah, off Columbus Crew. We we will not mention anything about Riverhounds. I promise on this conversation. <laughs> I, I promise. Uh, Corey Ray joins us. Corey, welcome. Welcome to Thank Footy you. Prime for the first time. Yeah. Corey, are you, are, are you sitting on the ceiling? It's weird, man. Yeah, there's some <laughs> crazy things in Columbus uh, when it comes to housing, but yeah. Wait, what's, what's with the hardwood up, uh, up top there? What's going I thought on? you would like this as your guest room, but I guess I, guess I was wrong. But yeah. Hold on a minute. <laughs> Did you say guest room? Guest room, yeah. <laughs> I'm coming. <laughs> yeah, bizarre, but yeah, we're... At least we have a guest room. I guess that's a that's a big change from Toronto. So well, I guess your your hardwood floor would never wear out if it's on the ceiling. If you get sick of it, you just swap. So it's it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> hey Corey, so listen, um, so much to get to here. Um, you are really one of TFC's lesser known but success stories, from intern up to assistant GM with, with Tim Bespachenko. You won a championship, then you go to the crew with Bears. You win another championship. Any regrets? <laughs> probably a lot from the early days but after jimmy left it was probably okay after that <laughs> <laughs> was that the tipping point for tfc when you yeah, found success? So. yeah i had uh, a party when i walked out there i started yeah. to look younger i started to feel healthier uh, <laughs> i didn't have to go to the doctor anymore it was uh weird weird how that works no more counseling right didn't have to yeah, go sit definitely. on that sofa anymore <laughs> no regrets, though. No regrets. Were you, the, you were the first intern, right, at TFC, I think? Yeah, so we had um, actually two. So myself and a guy named uh, Maurice, and we did everything. So I think the first, the first thing that I had to do was the open tryout, sign-in for media. Um, 
And so I had no real idea about what that was going to be like. But um, I think I should have seen some funny kind of writings on the wall when, and I, this just came up, I, we were talking about funny things the other day. Um, Mo went in to do some sort of a photo appearance with the BMO bear and he absolutely rifled a peak. It was just a photo appearance. You know, you kick it in the corner, shake hands, whatever. He shoots it as hard as he possibly can. The bear tries to save it. I'm The bear breaks their finger. And then next thing you know, the ambulance is coming and they're carrying like the bear out of the facility <laughs> right in front of me. I'm doing, I'm like, okay, that's, that's a bit weird. Like, what happened to the bear? Let's say yeah, Mo, Mo just pounded a shot. And I think Jimmy would confirm in any setup, in any training, there was only one level for Mo and it was to absolutely hit the ball as hard as possible. Yeah. Started right there. So that was, that was my first memory. That was the first thing I did. And, and it should have been maybe a, a warning sign of things to come. <laughs> Seeing hey, a bear carted out. <laughs> Corey, you, you must have remembered as well when we were training with Mo and the training session would start and then he would take off and he'd go down to the goalkeepers and he would just take bags of balls and just rifle them. Yeah. Top corner. He had the keepers diving everywhere. They wouldn't save nothing. He's like telling the goalkeepers how to dive. <laughs> yeah. And, and he was unbelievable. Like he was, he was so good at finishing. I guess it's a benefit to them to, uh, to have that training. But uh, wow, they killed their confidence. They were shit after that. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Cherry Beach? Was that your Cherry Beach training ground? I mean, where didn't we train? I think the the first memories for me um, being on the road were in actually the second preseason because I didn't travel um, the first year. So second preseason in in Bradenton, Florida. Um, was what was where um, probably a lot of the stress started to come from for me. <laughs> hey Corey, when yeah. when you when you t- you look at the difference between what you you moved to in Columbus, it was obviously an established side. It was the first MLS team, I believe, that had a soccer specific stadium. What were the differences for you moving there and the challenges from Toronto SC, which was just a startup, and how difficult that was compared to moving to Columbus? Yeah, I mean, there's two things. The the league itself um, has changed. It's almost unrecognizable. Everything that's being done behind the scenes, the the way in which the teams travel. I mean, all that is night and day. Um, we were at a Holiday Inn Express, you know, the first three, four years in Bradenton. And now we're staying at, you know, the best possible hotels and great facilities and that. So that's that's the league growing. Mm-hmm. But from a team side, it's actually quite interesting because the crew, the story is pretty well known, but they were supposed to leave and 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 move to Austin. And so that group, that structure, everything kind of left with that that team in some ways. And then with the new ownership group, it almost became a startup again. And so that was mm. quite useful for my experiences. And obviously being able to come in and, and build a lot of the structure underneath is, is, is what I enjoy. And so the academy, the resources had been stripped pretty much um, as people started to leave. There was no second team. Um, we didn't have a training facility yet, and we still had the old stadium. So it was very much like not hmm. so much early days TFC. I mean, we had we had a little bit of a, a different experience in the group, but um, it was very much like a startup. So in, in some ways, there's a lot that we just had to redo that I had done before, and that, that made it quite helpful. Corey, how much has it helped you as, a, as an individual who's in the industry, coming into a professional club as an intern, 
a young guy, learning the ropes, becoming a team manager, and working your way up the ladder to get to where you are now as assistant GM, a general manager of TFC2, as opposed to someone that's coming from the outside and just going into a position as a general manager? I think the biggest thing that I think of is that if you don't have the experience or even the knowledge of what's going on elsewhere in the organization, it can be hard to relate to some of the problems that come up. And so for me, at every level, being around every single possible thing, I think that certainly helps me. Um, but then there's other things that maybe, you know, someone coming in at just a general manager level might have other experiences in. But I can definitely say that I've probably seen most most of it. Um, and from your coordinators all the way up to to ownership, there's experiences that I have with that. So it's it's very different. I don't think it's very normal to have to be at every single possible level of, of a club um, when it comes to the team side. But I can tell you that there's situations that come up now that I'm like, oh, yeah, that happened. And then certainly coming from TFC in some of the early years, um, in some of the chaos, certainly that benefits me when things are stressful and that because there's nothing really as stressful as those days and some of the things that we saw when we were learning to run a team, learning to operate. Um, and so that, that's been a huge benefit for sure. So what about the uh, initiations? You had an initiation when, uh, when you first started. Yeah. Now yeah. in your role today, have you uh, initiated anybody? No, definitely not. I mean, we just get singing and I get a couple boos out for them. But uh, no, no Jimmy Brennan uh, initiations. I actually saw um, some of the TSC staff when we were down in Bradenton probably like uh, three weeks ago. And they were telling me Posse, Chris Posniak, was like having PTSD of that hotel. They stayed in that same hotel with the yeah. academy like three weeks ago. And he started just like, I can't be here. There's so many bad memories. And I mean... I still remember like the smell. It was that like traumatic for me, the stuff that happened there. And it wasn't like the initiation that it was just the things that were going on were so bizarre to me as a new, as a new person in the industry. And it became, I thought it was normal. And the way Jimmy would be and the other guys, yeah, this is normal. And I'm thinking, I'm like, I, I never read about any of this in my textbooks. Like, like. And so There's Jimmy, nothing normal about Jimmy. No, no. So Jimmy would like, I don't know if it was on purpose or what, but the setups for the initiations were incredible. Like he would start talking about things that he had done in the past. So he would say, yeah, on this one trip, we got this big python and, and we and we put it in someone's room and, you know, we we're like hiding it there. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's not going to happen to me. Right. You know, no, no, it's good. Then they say, oh, we bought all these other animals like spiders and, and all this stuff. And, we, and so, so I'm thinking like, okay, well, this is just for the players. Like, I'm just trying to do my job. You know, I'm, 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 I got us here. We're good. And sure enough, one day, I one night, I go after some some event or whatever. I, I go in my room and all the drawers are open. And I'm, I'm like, oh, no. Like, what what is in my room right now? And I start looking around. I immediately run and just jump right on my bed because I figure that's the safest area in the room. I start looking around everywhere, like listening for a snake, like looking for a spider, whatever. Nothing, nothing. So I hop back down. I go into the washroom and there's a little like rat or mouse like in my sink, like climbing up and sliding down, climbing up and sliding down. <laughs> so I, like I go back out. I don't know. 
find Jimmy or whoever, like, guys, can you please get rid of this? Yeah, yeah, no problem. I'm sure they took it and put it somewhere else. But when I asked him, I said, well, why were all the drawers open? And, and Jimmy, he's like, what do, you, what do you mean? Wasn't there a mouse in there? Said, no, there's no mouse in, in, the, in the drawer. And then sure enough, like 10 minutes later, the, the hotel called me and said, like, we're getting reports of like uh, other hotel guests uh, claiming that there's mice and rats running around and, and somebody, someone had to kill one in their room. It had gone out of my room, it had run <laughs> under the door. It, like people are like complaining and yelling. I, said, I have nothing to do with that. I don't know what that is. Uh, of course, <laughs> TFC, no, no way. And so that, that went on for, for quite some time, but that, I mean, I think, they had Mo Adu in the pool. We broke his cell phone. I just saw Mo like last week or something like that. Uh, he was pissed about that. I mean, there, there was ridiculous things that you're on edge for some reason. Nothing terrible, you know, but it's the anticipation that just like ate me up inside. And I was just every night like sitting there like waiting for something to happen. And it was like, oh, a mouse was in my, my toiletry bag. Like, like nothing that bad. I'm sure Jimmy has done worse things, but uh, thank thanks mice, for Jimmy? me out snake. How many were there, Jimmy? Uh, there's about 15. They're supposed to be just <laughs> in his room. So they got out? Yeah, they were supposed to be in his wash bag. Obviously, they got out. They're clever little guys. <laughs> They're, so clever. They're so clever. They were cute little albino ones. Yeah, they were pretty cute. But the anticipation killed me. So Could have signed a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> there was, we there, did. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, there was guys coming into training, and before they finished warm-ups, I had to get a taxi cab for them to get out of training. It was like next, next, next. Like it was, yeah. it was not normal, but that was the only normal I knew. So I think we had was it sixty players in one, year, one season. <laughs> yeah. You just come in to be like ten guys sitting there. You're like, who the hell are these guys? <laughs> But it got and then better, right? Mo would come I mean, in and be like, "There's shit," and then Corey's like, "Okay, sorry, I got to book you a flight out of here." It, it did improve, though, right? I mean, Bez comes in, and, and suddenly it just becomes a bit more professional. Is that is that fair to say? I mean, obviously, those early days with Mo in particular. Um, yeah, yeah. But the idea was like, let's stop this. This this is not good, and let's just do normal things that people would do in a business, like you know, create a plan. You know, <laughs> like let's, let's, start, let's start here. Um, let's just make it so there's some idea of vision, accountability, whatnot, and, and build it out. And um, I think that doesn't sound very sexy or like, you know, exciting, but it does help quite a bit when you start to create longer term planning. You don't just have to worry about every week just focusing on the weekend, which is pretty normal, but mm -hmm. um, you start to have some sort of structure, player movement up through the pathway, like regular things that most people would assume clubs do. Um, we were getting there certainly with, with the, the, the group before. And, and obviously Jimmy was a, a big help when he went upstairs, but, but honestly there was so much more that needed to be done the way the league was going and in, in terms of the cash being injected into it, like we need to make mm -hmm. better decisions. And a lot of teams are still fighting that you get more money, but it's like kids in a candy shop without the structure and process. You can definitely go down the wrong, the wrong path. Yeah. I think no, there's a lot too, you know, in time where I remember we would come into training and be like, where are we training today? And be like, <laughs> uh, it was a scramble. Oh, we're at Cherry beach. Okay. Next day. Where are we training? Uh, I think we're at varsity today. 
So once we got the training facility and all that came into play, then the structure started coming in and then it was a bit more professional, wasn't it? Compared to what it was at the, the beginning years, it was it was terrible. I was thinking so many times, like, what have I done? Why am I here? I need to go back to England. Yeah. But I mean, it was all part of the building process, right? Everybody played a role to to help get it going. Yeah. People are warming food food up in a standard toaster, like in, in the facility, fire starting, like like and then you go to that to a full chef, a kitchen. I mean, this is what you know everyone should be having but it was early and i'm sure you guys have experienced even in worse things um but it was not professional where it needed to be and i think that 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 was a huge change and so once you get the structure and the facility everybody's under one roof everybody's talking naturally it makes a lot more sense um but but certainly it wasn't like that at first did yeah. did the the amount of rules and things in the league that are really quite complicated when Beznachenko came in did that help to help you as well establish yourself and you know, with all the different rules and structures of the leagues and and what you can do and and can't do and how do we do that it was that as part of your plan was that certainly something you guys talked about yeah, the guy wrote the rules in in some regards with, with the right. player department but thankfully I had been working at times with Tim and also with Ali Curtis who who served uh, you know at TFC on the other end, because the rules were not really Mo's forte either. Um, so that was something that I dove into right away. It was really like, yeah. we're getting rid of this guy. Let's figure it out. Then I would call the league and try to um, work with them as much as possible. So, um, But to have the guy that came up with a lot of the, those rules, that was that was massive. And so we're always trying to find ways to to work you know, to our benefits by using those. Um, and, and that helped clean things up quite a bit from a cap perspective and what we could do to set up a team that went on a pretty good run. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about the current TFC Woes, obviously. You know, you're at Columbus now, but, you know, you probably heard that DP is on very happy at the moment. Um, you were obviously involved in the signing of Javinko as a designated player. How much research did you put into the character, the personality, the traits of potential designated player targets? Right. Tell them the truth, Corey, right? Tell them the truth. Yeah, a lot. No? What do you mean? What do you mean you, the truth? You spotted them, didn't you? You found well, No, we, we, we had a huge list. Um, yeah. But again, you go back to processes. It doesn't skip over just because it's Jovinko. I mean, there's other big, big-time players. And so between myself, Jack Dodd, who just left the club, obviously Tim, the work that Greg did to ensure that we want this player in these positions, it's going to help us and it's going to work with the other guys. That's massive. So I think it's not just signing the player. It's how they work with everyone else. And as you mentioned, the character of the player. And that guy is a competitor. Um, he's, he's quite funny. He's good in the locker room. Um, we had a number of meetings with him. And it was very clear, like, this is the project. Are you in or not? And it wasn't maybe some of the mistakes we made with Jermaine, which was like, come to us. We need you. You know, you're going to change everything, recruiting the mom for like two weeks, like doing all this crazy stuff. It was Tim. And I think Tim's mentioned it before, just going over there as as a representative of the club, sitting down in a normal manner and walking through what we need versus the whole whining and dining and trying to sell the project. And I think that made the difference. And that gave us confidence that this guy is really in because he wants to win. He wants to be part of something different. And he saw the project and his agent. Um, definitely saw the project um, as as something that we could build together and be successful and, and establish himself. And I think 
those are different kind of scenarios. I don't know what they did to recruit the latest batch, but I, I, I'm not sure if it was as comprehensive when it comes to some of the things we did behind the scenes, watching live, maybe it was, I mean, if, if Jack was there potentially, but um, it's still important to know where they're going to be on the field, what their relationship to their teammates are. And um, I, I think that was a big success for us when we're putting it all together. So it's interesting that I mean you mentioned to Jermaine and and that deal and how you how you came from almost a position of weakness saying man we need you you can take us to the next level as opposed to maybe a newfound confidence swagger when you approach Javinko saying oh, listen this is what we're doing we want to be part of it are you in or are you out it's a very different mindset you had to learn that I mean Jermaine was not a bad person he was actually excellent in the locker room a real good pro but the fit you know has to be something that makes sense for everyone. And it became apparent that it wasn't a good fit or that it wasn't going to achieve the goals that he wanted for Jermaine. And I think that that was the big difference, but um, we definitely learned from that, but thanks to Tim L and, and the confidence, you know, to go back to the board and say, let's double down and go get, you know, the, the rest of the crew and make this work. And I think that was, that was a big, big learning for, for Toronto FC for sure. There, there is a, <clears throat> there definitely a, a risk factor, isn't it, Corey? With designated players, no matter how you look at it, because I would have thought, I mean, I played with Jermaine at West Ham. He is a London boy, you know, from that area. He's lived in there his whole life. You move him out of that, obviously there's a potential for him not to be comfortable in another country, although the language barrier wasn't a barrier for him. Um, but the same thing, I think, when I look at Insigne um, from Naples, a local lad, you know, and then also with Naples doing so well, Toronto SC not doing so well, the language is definitely a problem for him and settling in looks as though it's a problem for him. Um, is it somewhat uh, rolling the dice a little bit of how these guys will settle in and, and hoping that they do and, and they don't always? A hundred percent. And I think the biggest thing when you're going to go spend that kind of money, the DPs, they have to be so consistent and, and be able to deliver game after game or else you lose the locker room, you lose everything, right? right so if, right. if you have a little crazy guy and you know he's passionate and whatever and you know he's struggling and he's on so much more money than everyone else given the salary cap you mm -hmm. know, every player is going to say like well, what's going on here but if you have someone who comes in and you know is just dying to win every game is making the difference every single doing the craziest things that we'd seen on the field time after time i mean every player can get behind that and you almost feel like super confident like this guy's gonna win us games I'll put up with whatever little things he has. And I think that's the difference when it's not going well, mm. that starts to just break things apart for sure. They have to deliver and it's a huge burden, but they're being paid so much money. It's, it's unfair, but that's the way the league is structured and they have to deliver for you. And that if it's not happening, then you start to see some issues. Yeah. Yeah. The Michael signing was, I guess, less of a roll of dice. You knew what you're getting with him. He obviously, from a cultural standpoint, a lot easier for him to adapt. But that became arguably the most important signing in TFC history. Yeah, less maybe less exciting, but so important for the culture. The guy, the guy's a warrior. I mean, you know, we didn't have very many guys. We had Jimmy. We had guys like Robbo. We had you know certain leaders that could get the group going and say, "This is how we're going to do things." And then it kind of disappeared a little bit. And then you get someone like Michael, who is going to play games with the national team, taking his own play and coming in the morning, first person in training, last one out, every single game, always available, running his nuts off every game. Mm. 
I mean, that changed the culture for sure within the club more than any other signing. And the guy's still playing. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I don't think people thought when we signed him, whatever, six-year deal, oh, he's not going to be here. And he's long past us. Everyone's left and he's still there. And I think this is a, a massive part of what turned around the club. And, and sometimes I don't think people understand the culture of that the competitiveness, the way he could get everybody, even the, the big guys, working together was was huge for the club and it changed it changed everything for us. Do you um, see Michael really? Bradley moving into management? I certainly could see him doing that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean he's yeah. he, he loves the game. He's very detailed. Um he's very curious. So I wouldn't I don't want to speak for him, but I wouldn't rule it out mm-hmm. from what I understand mm-hmm. for sure. He's always it might be always in on that. <laughs> as awkward as that might be the way things are going right now at TSD it might be a little bit of an awkward conversation but I don't think we're there quite yet yeah. um, I'm going to ask you Corey um, you, you and Bez obviously already um, purveyors of, of analytics deep stats advanced stats whatever you want to call them um, as fans and as media how Neanderthal are the stats that we have access to compared to what you guys actually have access to uh, yeah pretty pretty Stone Age, I don't know, maybe pre <laughs> It goes beyond XG, you mean? Yeah, I mean that's that's great. And I we're not we're not in baseball territory right now. We're not even in basketball territory. We're we're somewhat further behind just given the complexities of the game. It's very fluid. There's so many players. So there is no one answer, regardless of what's available to you. It's really the questions you asked. And so I think that is maybe not understood, but in terms of where the game is at, it's at the very beginning, I think, of something bigger. So regardless of all the sheets of data and stuff we have, um, how useful it is, is still probably we're not even uncovered most of the information just yet. So you have to tread quite carefully, I think. I don't think there's a, a page you open up and it tells you what to do. Um, I think at the end of the day, if you're curious, you can look for things. If you want to take some shortcuts sometimes, you know, if you're filtering 2,000 players and you want to make it 200 players, sure, you can use it. But by no means um, is there a, you know, a, a solution for every type of scenario in the game. I mean, it's not even close. And so mm. we're really looking at right now, which is probably the most interesting stuff, is is the tracking data um, which gives you full context of a game, where everybody is, how they move together. Because you can actually ask real soccer questions versus the event data, which is very much like freeze frame, this happened to this. And I think you have to be very careful when interpreting those things because the game is so fluid. And so basketball has been able to do a great job at that. Um, but think about the number of players that are on the court versus on the field. It's very different. So I don't think we're really at a level of any of that right now, but... If you're curious, you can ask some good questions and maybe find some insights, but you need to be very careful of, I think, how much you rely on that, just given the available information right now. So, yeah. It doesn't tell you what kind of, it doesn't tell you what kind of teammate that person is or what they're like in the dressing room or how they were developed, how they were brought up, what kind of schooling, education, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, you're, you're, there's no way that's going to tell you that. Um, and, And so that's very important when you have 11 players on, on the field and, and subs. I mean, it's not 
you know, five guys, if one guy is a dick and the rest are nice, it's fine. Like it, it can really mess things up. So you have to be very careful and cautious with the information you're receiving. Um, you have to ask good questions of it, but there's, there's certainly some interesting insights that can tell you, you know, more than nothing, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. but, but at the end of the day, we have to be wise about how it's used and, and in what context. So yeah. I think, I think that's, that's important. I, I, you're right, Corey. And, and it does provide so much information for you, but at the end of the day as well, it's, it's about meeting that individual, sitting down and talking with them. And the eye is the biggest scout as well, because you, you can see that individual when they're playing, because when you look at the data, a lot of the time, there's always a question of why, why are his numbers like that? And in football, there's so many tangibles. There's travel, there's grass, there's field turf, there's rain, there's snow, there's altitude, there's heat. So there's so much that comes into play that, that can alter those numbers. But really, you've got to take all that data and collectively put it together and then figure out, okay, why are these numbers like this and what's happened here? And, and the eye is going to be the biggest scout at the end of the day. Yeah, it's great when your eye says something and then the numbers match up and then you're like, okay, let's let's go. And yeah. that's mm-hmm. kind of how I would only recommend anybody is using it in, in soccer right now. Um, mm-hmm. That's a great feeling. So does it match up? Yes or no? Why doesn't it match up? What am I missing? Is it the tactics that the coach, the way the team plays? Mm-hmm. Is it the game state? We went down to nothing. So all of a sudden now we're pushing everyone forward. Like, exactly. But over time, if you're talking about, you know, multiple games, lots of players, it will give you some information for sure that's easier than watching, you know, 40 games yeah. or whatever with your eye. That'd be amazing. But time is is also important. So if you can cut down some of the time waste and and, and be a little bit more efficient, great. But you don't just pull it up and say, okay, it says this, boom, let's sign the guy. I, I don't think anyone's doing that either. And I think that's always the fear sometimes that comes out. I hope nobody's doing that. Um, because oh, we, it is- we know a couple of people that have done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely uh, proceed with a little bit of caution. But if you're curious, it's very helpful for sure. So when you're eyeballing a new coach, like Wilfred Nancy arrives this year from Montreal, did a great job there last year. How, how do you gauge him, you know, a, a coach? Obviously very different to a player, but what is the biggest uh, way to, to really judge who's coming in? So the person was was most important um, when we went into this and that was number one on the list. So do we have someone who, you know, is open-minded, is going to buy into the one club vision that we have, which starts in the academy, moves to the second team and the first team? Because we think we're Columbus, we need to use every kind of rung on our ladder to the best of our ability. So we started with someone who's open to that, and he's clearly a known developer. Um, I think they had tremendous results with the squad they had. And so if you know who you are as a club, it starts to eliminate people for sure. Um, and then we start to look at, you know, how do we see the game? How do we want to play? What, you know, is, is this guy a possession-based coach, coach, is he going, you know, full throttle, full metal football, pressing? I mean, those are really key when you look at your squad. And I think, you know, some teams have definitely made some mistakes in that going from possession straight to pressing and you have a team that can't run or press. And so you factor in all these things, you look at definitely some, some style of play, KPIs, you work that all together and then you listen to their vision. And at the end of the day, you get references and you speak to to people around um, around the coach. How do they run the locker room? I mean, it's 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 pretty 
comprehensive. It's a massive decision for the club, and it's 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 important because it affects so many people, um, not just the players. Yeah. And so that was a, a really long process. Um, certainly not someone who was available right away either. Um, and, and I think that, you know, we had to go through the whole thing and we interviewed quite a few really good candidates. Um, but when it comes to the end, it's it's really about all the three things that that the person has, the the style, and then do they buy into the philosophy of the club? And I think that was check, check, check. Um, I don't know if you guys have met him or know him. He's, he's, a, he's a wonderful person. And I think that it's very clear every day when you come into work, people are excited to be there. Um, so that's... I, I think it was, a, I thought it was a, a very good sign. I said that to you as well when, when we spoke. Um, for me, I thought that Montreal last year were a fantastic side and they were fun to watch. And I thought he did a very, very good job at that club. And I'm sure you guys are delighted that you end up getting him. So when you were looking at your squad and saying, okay, this is what we have. This is the type of manager. Was it kind of right away knowing the success that Montreal was having last year? Like that could be, this needs to be our guy. No, it was more like, who are the guys that, you know, match some of the criteria in the league? Are they available? Yes or no. If no, then who else can we go to look at, you know, assistants, up and coming coaches, that kind of stuff. So yeah, of course, if we could go just straight, talk to him and talk to the other two guys that fit um, right away. Yeah. Great. But certainly the other clubs don't want that. Um, and so you have to have plan a plan B plan C and then work through it. And it became known towards the end of the process that he could be available, um, that there is a situation there. And then that, that became something that we had to work through um, with Montreal and, and with, with everybody to ensure that, you know, we could interview him and, and do those things. Yeah. So yeah, you have a wish list. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's the same with players but then the complexities are they even available how much are they going to cost who are they bringing what does that look like um then you got to go down that list but um we have owners that they want to come to the game and have fun and enjoy the game i mean that's yeah. basically what they say like i want to enjoy watching the game when i come um who does that what does that look like and say okay well here's here's a list let's let's go through them so Corey, tell us tell us a little bit more about mls pro Next pro, our next pro, MLS Next Pro, because there's a lot of lot of people that just don't really understand or know what it's all about. Yep, you're the you're the general manager of of that team in Columbus. Yep, yeah. So it's a, a basically a development arm of the MLS. So you have uh, a second team set up, not so dissimilar to you know some of the other leagues in the world. Um, and right now it's predominantly MLS second teams, but there is a, a goal to continue to look outwards and add other teams for competition. And so every team uh, except for Montreal has a second team um, in this league. And so we just compete on a, a schedule of 28 games uh, across the same kind of season as MLS. And then in terms of who can be used, it's pretty open, um, but you know, from the last year and this year, it's mostly a U23 type kind of league. And then you can use it for development stints for guys on the first team, not getting minutes, um, injured players, all, all the kind of normal things. Um, but it's quite interesting because it is open, you know, game to game. You have some some young, good players coming up against their peers. And then, you know, the next week it could be one of the big U22 initiatives, you know, signed for 3 million and you're coming up as a left back against the right winger from Colombia that the team just bought. 
And so that's where it's a little bit more unique than maybe a USL setup, which is what we had in Toronto um, for a few years where, yeah, it was good competition. Um, it's definitely against men, which was, which was great. Um, but at the end of the day, some of the level of quality of the players is, is, is pretty much maxed out um, in, in some regards. Certainly some teams were better than others, but when it comes to this, the, the lineups week to week could feature, you know, who knows. And I think that's, that's quite interesting for our young players trying to develop because um, it, it's a really good opportunity to test themselves. So it's one year in um, it's, it's been pretty positive. There's been some growth um, in terms of new markets coming in over the next few years, but it just gives our guys, a way to continue to develop in a professional way, which more opportunities, the better. Um, and I think, I think that's really important for the younger players, which I have to say over the last 10 years in MLS in Canada and U S is the population of good young players is, is booming. Um, and it's not a secret anymore. Um, mm. There's tons and tons of clubs overseas coming and watching scouting at the youth tournaments. And I think there needs to be a place for these guys to play um, and I think it's very important that we provide that. And this is a good way to just speed up their development, for sure. That has been the biggest challenge, isn't it, for the clubs? And I think the size of North America, the, the space in between clubs, and to try to find best fee best to try to develop has actually been really, really challenging. And I remember, Corey, going back to you know day one, or certainly with Toronto FC, the NCAA, the draft, they thought that that was going to be the future and they found out that it wasn't and they needed to sort of re-change, sort of re, you know, you know, focus on what they were going to do and went push more sort of to the youth development at the clubs, didn't they? Yeah, it's, it's normal, right? If you look anywhere else, full academy setups, I mean, but it was not normal for North American clubs who are just starting or worried about the first team or you know, in some, in some regards, fighting the youth clubs in their backyard because they thought they were the, you know, the, the best developers of talent. And, and, and they were. But then as you start to add in, you know, the resources, the facilities, the coaching ed, you add all that up and slowly but surely there's, there's a little bit of a fight there. But thankfully, I think now the best players, most of them should be in the MLS clubs you know, training in a really, really good environment. And then from there, the next logical step anywhere else in the world is to sign professionally. Um, and we still value the NCAA because every kid is different. Some kids mm -hmm. need to leave home and learn how to be on their own. But for the best of the best, certainly the best pathway for those kids is to continue to fight, to be in first team trainings, to go to preseason and to play in these professional games. And, and I think that helps speed things up. So you have a, a finished product that's now... 18, 19 instead of 23, 24. Um, and that, that helps kind of speed things up. I think it's better for the fan base as well because the fans do want to see local players that have come through the system representing the club. And there's a, there's a stronger connection for the fans than what there is if you go out and buy a player or bring somebody else from in from, from another club. So it is important to develop your own and get them <laughs> playing in the first team. Yeah, because now those kids were fans, right? They were in the stands. You see all these cool pictures of guys. You see also, you know, in the supporter section as a, as a kid. And now they're on the first team. That that whole group, that community is behind them every step of the way. So certainly yeah. from a connection standpoint, it, it makes a lot of sense. I, I think it's. I think that that's why it's a little bit disappointing at TFC where the, some of the players that have come through the academy haven't really gone into the first team at TFC yet are thriving elsewhere in other clubs in MLS. Yeah, it's patience. The development, you know, as you know, 
as a lot of people know, it takes time and they're going to mess up, right? It's going to be hard. They're going to be up and down and up and down. I think the guys that are thriving are basically at the end of that development kind of pathway where it starts to even out a bit. And right when they're going to be consistent is when they were traded away, in my opinion. And that's mm. difficult because now you can actually start to use them and now they're not there anymore. And I get it. You know, you need money sometimes. The salary cap is tight. But that is exactly the time where now they can be used, maybe not starters all the time, but they can come in and, and make a difference. And, you know, 21, 22, they finally got the physical, you know, foundation. They start to understand the game more. They've been through a couple of preseasons. That's when you need to capitalize on those players. Um in using them um and they're also super valuable the other teams because mm. they're ready and they're cheap um and so you got to make a decision what you're going to do and uh yeah fortunately for the other teams they picked them up at the right time and unfortunately for tfc um they they lost them when maybe they could be using them right now don't you think that in Toronto SC's position is kind of a challenge for them as well? Uh, because, I mean, they do have the money to spend money, and where are they going to spend it? The DP money is going to go on attacking players. So if you're a young striker trying to get in that first game, try to get that chance, if they keep signing players for $7-15 million a year, that opportunity might not come to you at that club. I know that when I made my move to England, I was looking for a club that we use that youth development and wanted you to be pushed into the first team, Ipswich Town, as opposed to going to a larger club where there's a very good chance you're never going to break into Manchester United, Chelsea, Man City, these types of clubs. Yeah, it's, it's exactly it. And everybody's pathway needs to be unique. And so while you can produce those attacking players, maybe it's better to produce defenders or try to shift underneath what you're looking for, try to push through different positions that you know in MLS will always be needed. Um, it's not to say that you shouldn't focus or promote these other attacking guys, but if that's your philosophy, then everything should tie into that. So it makes sense, but there's nothing wrong with having a sub, you know, that's capable at times if people get injured, um, you know, those, those periods in MLS are very normal. There's long stretches in the summer where it's a grind. These are the moments for these kids, but they also have to do something. Um, and so that's the challenge uh, for sure. But if they're, cheap and they're homegrown and you know they've been through the system um i think that's that's important when you do have these dps because your salary cap given the rules is always going to be jammed up if you're going to focus on three dps you need these players and it's not easy to acquire them anywhere else mm -hmm. what is the cap now Corey? so it's just over five million i think but there's all these other rules and things that can be added to it so um yeah, you get teams spending total between, I mean, it's varied for sure. Your bottom guys are low, your top guys are high, but anywhere from like 9, 10 million with all these different mechanisms up to, you know, 25 or whatever with TFC Atlanta's been at, um, the big dogs. Um, so, yeah, it's quite varied for sure. Your Montreal to Toronto, your Colorado to Atlanta is, is massive. Um, but that's kind of cool that you can choose what to do. Um, and build your squad the way you want. But it, I think in the future, it'd be great if it was opened up and people could choose where to spend their money a little bit easier. Yeah, you're the one guy that we could actually ask about Tam and Gam and explain it, but I won't do yeah, that. Yeah, please. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> be too much. We'll let yeah. Wonga explain it to us later. Well, um, I wanted to say one thing before Corey left uh, too. Um, I want to apologize on behalf of Jimmy and I because we didn't tell you, tell you, we didn't set you up for the interview properly to tell you you can't swear. 
So um, I want you to know you used the word. You said he's a dick. Yep. So there's the swear word, <laughs> if you know us. And yep. earlier, and that was around, JC, just so you know, that's around 52 minutes. And you said, run his nuts off, yep. which is also a, a swear word we can't abide by. Wow. No, we, we never so use apologies. swear words in this show. Yeah. Never, okay. And that's around 45 minutes. So. Okay. Yeah. He's a dick and run his nuts off. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's from Jimmy and I. My she mom would be yeah. very disappointed right yeah, now. She's going to be so upset with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I apologize, Corey, for, for Wunga being a fuckwit right there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's at uh, an hour and five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Corey, listen, thank you so much, mate. Really enjoyed this. That was a yeah, great show. We'd love to get you on. And, and good luck with uh, everything Columbus crew. You guys have been a great success since you guys thank arrived you. there. And uh, we, we, you know, not to be patronizing, but as TFC, old school TFC types, we're all proud to see people move on and do well for themselves. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I wouldn't be here without Jimmy and, and obviously the rest of the guys uh, give me a hard time. So I, I do appreciate it. And obviously, Craig, Craig was around a lot. I learned a lot from you, too. So I appreciate you guys. And thank you so much for having me. Jeez, you could be GM by now, if not for those guys. Jesus. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thanks Corey. Corey. Thanks, easy. Bye. That was a great chat, fellas. Really enjoyed that. That was uh, a good get. Yeah, I love some of those early TFC stories, the inside stories. And, and Mice, Jimmy, you never told us that story before. Yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> you forget about, we released 15 mice into uh, the assistant GM's room. Yeah, I can't get the image of a stuffed animal being rolled out on a on an ambulance cart from Mo Johnson <laughs> with a broken finger. Oh, yeah. that's hilarious! That's great. No, but but interesting stuff. You know, and you know, we we talk about on this podcast the the, the brain drain right from Canada to the states, and there's so few opportunities up here for Canadians. And that's an example again, right? Corey's moved on to the states, doing really well for himself. He's going to have great success mm-hmm. in his future, but it's another guy that has left and had to leave yeah you know there's not that many jobs up here i mean there really isn't no, and there's the not a push for there's not a push for canadians to be in those jobs either and nobody in the ownerships of any of the clubs really give a shit about that side of things so, which is kind of disappointing because guys like him and pat onstead mark watson's the general manager of minnesota frank yallop is also obviously with his history at tampa bay and washington la galaxy bringing beckham in there there's been uh, some Fine work done by Canadians south of the board. Absolutely. Uh, congratulations, by the way, to the Whitecaps and CF Montreal advancing to the Canadian Championship final. Uh, CPL team's just not quite there. Get in there. Bit by no. bit, Jimmy. No, they're not. They're not there yet. No. And it'll take some time. Look, it's it's always going to be difficult as well. You know, the one-off games, um, it's, it's similar to the FA Cup with the lower leagues playing the big dogs. You never know what's going to happen on the day. Um. But when you look at it, you know, the, the gap is still quite big. You look at their rosters are bigger, their salary caps. You just heard Corey Ray talking already about the salary caps of what they're working with as opposed to what the, the CPL is working with. Um, and you can see the class as well with the MLS teams and, and, and the players. But, you know, don't don't get me wrong. I thought Forge, I called that game. I thought Forge, Forge did well. You know, they, they held their own for a while. They put a good little fight in. Second half, Montreal... Uh, change their formation, brought on all four up top, and you know it could have been it could have been four or five. Um, and I watched the Montreal game as well, or sorry, the the Whitecaps match as well against Pacific. Pacific were holding their own, but again, you know there was 
you could just see the difference in the class that, that the Whitecaps brought for that match as well. As it should and, be. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, exactly. They are yeah. different tiers of, of league, right? And that's okay. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing, mm-hmm. seeing progress certainly with uh, the CPL teams. Uh, Amy, by the way, rang the bell. Did you see that video? Yeah. Oh. Have we posted it yet on our, on our, on our feeds? Yep. And we, we have right I tell you what, she, she was ringing that bell. Like, I don't think there was a gap between the first goal and the second goal. She just kept ringing it. It was just, I was like, is she going to stop? Somebody had she to tell her. Away, did she did she yeah. get carried away? Oh, Amy. Yeah. I think she told everybody in her Rolodex that she was ringing the bell that night. <laughs> the bell ends. <laughs> yeah. The bell ends. Yep. Yeah, uh, there's so many jokes we could go there, but we'll, maybe we'll, yeah. we'll wait till we talk to Amy on News and Dubs tomorrow before we actually really talk about Amy's uh, manhandling of the bell end. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't she was myself. pulling it hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm not going there. I, there's so much to go, but we'll, we'll wait till tomorrow. News and dubs, of course. Um, okay, Wong, anything else you want to get to? You're, you're back no, home now. You, you yeah, made a home no, safe. No, I'm still driving. This is my background. I just put the oh, drive, my background. I'm still driving. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. No hands. I'm pretty doing well. Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> So, yeah, nothing else then. We're good. We're good to go. No, we're, we're good, good. To say farewell. Um, yeah. Uh, last weekend, coming out, of course, Premier League, uh, fubotv.com slash 30 prime. Get all the games uh, one last time this weekend, but of course, throughout the summer, a ton on Fubo, including the Canadian Championship and uh, the small matter of the Nations League coming up as well later in June. Um, all right, everyone. That's it. That's 30 prime. Our thanks to Corey Ray. That was a great chat. Uh, we'll see you and hear from you tomorrow. Bye. Follow us on Twitter at footy underscore prime and on Instagram at footy prime IG. Keep on newspapers, please. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.